can the NNPC be made more productive and efficient? Can the NNPC be made more productive and efficient? We're asking this question because the NNPC just released its first audited accounts in a long time. And it's not looking very good. Here's today's big hard fact. In 2018, NNPC's refineries generated 3.45 billion naira in revenue, but gulped 160 0.13 billion naira in expenses. So basically, the refineries are running at a loss. It's worse than a loss, Seth, if you think about it. They're basically not productive. Kaduna Refinery did not make any money, no revenue at all. But it spent 64.68 billion naira in 2018. Salaries, administrative costs, operational costs, all of that. For a refinery that did not make a single naira, Port Harcourt Refinery isn't much better. It yeah, made some sales worth uh, 1.46 billion, but it spent 48 billion there. And here to talk about it is the chief economist at PwC Nigeria, uh, Andrew Nevin. Thank you so much for joining us on Hard Facts, sir. Very happy to be with you, Sandra. Yes. Now, as we talk with Andrew, I want to hear from you, Lagos, calling with your thoughts, sending your messages. Um, you, do you think the, refiner, the refineries should be privatized? Do you think there is a way that we can get the NMPC to work more effectively? Do you think all prices are going to stabilize this year? Well, um, from the news today, the business news today, I don't think so. But what do you think? And what do you think about the government's revenue situation? These are the things I'd like to hear from you. So WhatsApp is 08095. 9-75-805. And our phone number is 0700-993-993-993. Andrew, the NMPC just published its audited accounts. Can you explain what um, audited financial statements are and how they differ from unaudited financial statements? So with an unaudited financial statement, the company puts its own numbers together and releases them, and there's no independent verification. Hmm. Audited statements are uh, audited by outsiders, professional auditors. Of course, um, globally, the, the four big audit firms, KPMG, ENY, uh, PwC, and uh, Ernst & Young, so the four, the four of them. Um, and so audited means they've had independent verification. And of course, all public companies are required to be uh, audited independently, usually by one of the big four. Mm, I see. Uh, how deep does a forensic audit go? How, how granular is it? What level of detail about uh, particular line items of spending and revenue is an audit expected to generate? Well, you use the word forensic, so the, the these are not. This is not a forensic audit, oh. uh, and, and an audit that a forensic audit would go would go much deeper. But in a, an audit that is for, a, say, a, a publicly listed company, one of the important pieces of it is that the auditor is relying that the information provided by management uh, is accurate. If if management is actually trying to commit a crime or cover up something and providing false data, that's not something that the auditor can easily easily find out. And of course, we have cases like Enron, uh, which people, I'm sure many people are too young, but some may be old enough to remember in 2001, which was the largest bankruptcy in history at the time. Mm. Uh, and the company was deliberately uh, falsifying information in that case. So it's difficult. An auditor won't necessarily catch criminal activity. Mm. Um, but if there's no criminal activity, it should be giving a fairly accurate view of the company's position. I see. All over the world, Andrew, refineries make some money, right? Nigeria 
has a, a massive demand for refined oil products. We we ship in billions of dollars uh, 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 worth of petrol and other products every year. So obviously there's a local market, yeah? So how come our refineries can't make money? Well, I, I think the experience in Nigeria, certainly the more than 10 years that I've lived here, is that uh, you know it's difficult for state-owned enterprises to run, or state the state to run, successful um, enterprises and refining is not a complex technology the refineries of all scales all over the world and yeah we've had the three NNPC refineries essentially non-functional really really struggling we have Agioclute steel I mean I think we would be at PwC like many others in the camp that said look the refining is something that can easily be done by the the private sector and we have um, such a need for education spending for health spending for security spending in the country that to divert resources to lose money refining seems like an incredible uh, waste and shame for Nigeria. Hmm. Um, do you think privatization is the answer? We've heard people call for the privatization of the refineries before. In fact, I remember President Obasanjo tried to start the process, but other people say that nobody would want to buy the refineries as they currently stand. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, if you look at the whole sort of upstream and downstream industry, I think what we've, and of course, you know, these things need more careful study, but what we've said over the years is the starting point, there needs to be a separation of the roles as a regulator and the role as an operator at the NMPC. So there's more clarity. The PIB was in that uh, direction, but, you know, we've had challenges uh, doing that. We've also recommended to bring transparency and really credit to NNPC and the, the MDCEO to, to doing the audit. I mean, the numbers don't look great, but at least he stepped up and said, we're going to be more transparent. He's mm -hmm. promised to have an audit for 2019. So I think it's a positive step forward. Um, on the operating side, I mean, there's many successful, like upstream side, so the production of oil and gas, there's many successful state-owned uh, oil and gas companies around the world, so there's nothing wrong with that. But we, we've said that it might be helpful if we did what we call a partial listing. So we take something like NL, NLNG, which is very successful, hmm. and we float, to, say, 20-30% per, of it on the Nigerian stock exchange. So hmm. that would do a few things. One, it would mean there would be more capital put into it. Two, it would mean it would have to be audited and transparent because it now is outside shareholders. Three, it would give a chance for um, Nigerian investors, well, global investors, but certainly Nigerian investors and PFAs to be able to invest in NLNG uh, and, uh, and ensure the separation between the operations of the unit and the regulation and the sort of the overall government interest in the sector. But for the refineries, uh, you know, it doesn't seem that compelling that the state has to own a refinery. I'm not sure uh, how many countries in the world where where refining is owned by the state. It's Of course, it's not the owner of the natural resource. The resource is mm -hmm. the oil that's in the ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Once it gets the refinery, it seems to us perfectly sensible the private sector could, could take that on. And Mr. Dangoni, of course, is building the world's largest refinery since, I think, the 1950s at 650,000 uh, barrels per day. So on, on balance, yeah, the refineries should probably be privatized. Now, whether these are salvageable or not or have zero value, I'm not so sure that would need to be, to be studied. But the continued drain of resources, of Nigerian resources, into these refineries not producing anything mm. is really very, very painful and, and needs to come to an end. You know, some, some Nigerians, another reason a lot of Nigerians have a problem with privatizing, uh, privatizing the refineries is patriotism. 
or a fear of corruption in the privatization process? Do you think it would be um, an indictment on the country or the government to sell off the refineries? Well, in patriotism, Mr. Dangote stepped up with one of the world's largest capital projects in the last few decades. I mean, that's fully Nigerian, Africa's most successful uh, businessman. I mean, fully Nigerian. So, and of course, the, the, the refineries, there's lots of talented uh, indigenous Nigerian companies, uh, the downstream, midstream companies that could take on the refineries. I'm not sure um, that it really is, is is that critical who owns them. If I had to take, you know, I'm Canadian. I mean, I think our refineries, to be honest, are largely owned by, by outsiders. It doesn't affect the flow of oil. It doesn't affect how we view ourselves. It doesn't affect, you know, the fact that you know, Canadians are good business people. I mean, refining is, I don't think, a source of, of necessarily national pride. I can imagine, say, an airline or the upstream production is, but I, I don't think we should be too too focused on that for the downstream. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've also had, there's lots of Nigerian companies that are attempting to do modular refineries. So these are smaller refineries that the gov- government's encouraged, but it's been difficult the last two or three years to get those, to get those launched. But again, those will be owned and controlled by Nigerians. Mm. So the the NNPC audit report goes beyond just the refineries. It looks at all the NNPC subsidiaries, including uh, NAPIMS, the National Petroleum Investment Management Service. And they made a profit of about a trillion naira in 2018. They handle stuff like um, JVs and gas. So um, I have to ask if NAPIMS proves that the oil and gas sector can still be viable, can still be a viable source of revenue for the Nigerian government if it is, for instance, managed more professionally. Well, I think there's no question, as I said before, I mean, there are lots of um, very well-managed state-owned oil companies around the world, and they they, are managed well, the production costs are low. So, I mean, there's nothing intrinsically impossible about doing that. But, I mean, a couple of of issues here. I mean, one, to begin with, I mean, we do need what uh, the MDCEO is doing in terms of of more transparency. Um, And I think over the years, I think people understand, and the NNPC itself has said it, it's been talking to the Senate about it, that the the costs in NNPC are too too high. So our production costs are too high in Nigeria, which means that the revenue that ultimately goes to the government is, is too low. Um, as I said earlier, that's one of the reasons we like the idea of partial privatization, because mm. then you bring transparency, you bring some pressure to run the organization well because you have outside shareholders. But what's happening now is with the collapse of um, crude oil prices because of COVID-19, you know, mm. we're back in a place where the very little revenue is going to be flowing from the oil, from NNPC to the, the allocation account. We're going to have immediate pressure on and both the federal level, state level, and of course the local government is those allocations uh, Mm-hmm. drop on that. So it's you know it's an urgent task. But people have seen in the press there's already a lot of discussion about uh, you know how do we get the production cost down? The number that's floated publicly is the average production cost of NNPC oil is about $25. Um, the Bonnie Light, of course, always trades at a discount to Brent. So it's between say 35 and 37, I think, today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not much margin that's going to be able to flow to the to the federal government. So certainly getting that twenty five dollars down to fifteen dollars is critical. But but at a more general level, 
if you think about it, even if we produce two million barrels a day uh, mm. of oil in Nigeria, that number hasn't changed. I don't largely for for decades, mm-hmm. and the number of people in Nigeria goes up at three percent a year, which means every five years, even if we stay to the same amount of oil, there's fifteen percent less oil per person. So mm. it's a percentage of, let's call it the value creation of Nigeria. Oil is just going down and down and down, and that's what we need to recognize. So I think, you know, an NPC by itself cannot fix. Nigeria's economic challenges. Hmm. Now, I want to take a step back, right, and look at the economics of oil and gas right now because it's so important um, to the government's bottom line. You mentioned uh, that uh, because of COVID-19, oil has taken a hit, but oil has also bounced back a little, a little bit from the bad situation that it was in um, early this year. But there seems to be a second wave of COVID-19 worldwide and China uh, may start closing back up again. Do you think oil is going to stay up long term? Well, we've always said... Even short to mid term. Yeah, I mean, we've always said, first off, as a you know, for, in terms of managing or leading the country, mm. Nigeria should be should be able to cope with twenty dollar oil, forty dollar oil, sixty dollar oil, eighty dollar oil, a hundred dollar oil. We shouldn't be in a situation where these movements, because we should be well enough diversified, and we all know that, and mm. it's been talked about talked about for years. But in terms of where oil is going, I mean. Um, I think people got prematurely optimistic. And we're not here to project oil, but we can't bank on getting oil back to $50 anytime soon. I mean, the the news of the last few weeks has really been quite dire from Mm. a health viewpoint and from an economic viewpoint. Because Mm. what it shows is that you know, when you have these kind of draconian lockdowns that stop all economic activity and essentially create an economic depression, hmm. um, you may damp down the health issues at the time. But as you open up, because other places also you know, have flare-ups, it transmits from place to place to place. And we're seeing that in multiple countries. So Israel has seen a big spike in, case, in cases. South Korea, which was viewed as the poster child for mm-hmm. the good management of COVID-19, has seen a spike in crisis. Mm-hmm. Problems in Melbourne problems in uh, North Westphalia in, in Germany. And of course, the United States, we have record number of cases in Texas, Florida, Arizona, for example. Mm. So all of this just shows is there is no easy path economically, health-wise or economically, out of COVID-19 in the next period that we can foresee. Mm. So it's very difficult to bank on any kind of increase at, at oil price. Of course, you know, obviously, Brent is up. For, I think it hit the teens back in, in April. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know we can't bank on anything better. We're going to have to co- uh, then we're at now and it may get worse. So we really do need to make sure that the country can manage through without assuming any increase in the, in the oil price. Mm. The World Bank just sounded an alarm that uh, uh, the Nigerian economy could slip into a deep recession. They're saying we should expect a, a, a deep recession because of, you know, COVID-19 and oil. What are your thoughts about um, that economic outlook? Well, I mean, I think we've been saying for a long time, first off, we didn't want to put out any numbers because we we're not sure. I mean, as, a, as, a, as an economist, I'm not sure how to model the situation. We've never... Uh, been in this situation in, pandemic, in, yeah. in, in, in my lifetime. Mm. So and people were putting out, if we go back to the economic history of this uh, pandemic, what we see in as late as February, late February, you had 
groups, I think, like the World Bank that said you know, this was a concern. It would reduce global growth from 4% to 1%, 4% to 2%. I mean, that was widely off off the mark. I mean, mm. I heard one prominent economist in, in March, late March, mm. say that South, the worst case for South Africa was, uh, you know, zero flat economy. And now we're looking at numbers for South Africa in today's World Bank report says shrinking by 8%. Hmm. I mean, in the Nigerian context, we had four minus 4% now, I think is what the World Bank is saying, possibly hmm. as big as minus 9%. Um, we as PwC have said, we, we have not used the word forecast because we don't know, we're not smart enough to know how to forecast. We've put out to our clients and in our meetings with them that we, we think that there's a you know, range of minus 5 to minus 10% mm. shrinkage in the economy in Nigeria this year. Um, and that seems to be where you know the World Bank is headed to. So this is just is catastrophic, as, as we know. Mm. And um, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to manage through this. But to put this in context, in 2016, we had a severe recession in Nigeria and mm-hmm. the economy shrank by 1.6%. And of course, we all know, so one 1.6% may not sound that bad, but for those of us who lived through it, it's very difficult, but mm-hmm. also because the population's growing. So population's growing 3%, the economy shrank 1.6%. That meant that income per capita shrank by almost 5%, which mm. is very difficult in, in you know, the starting point of Nigeria and the level of poverty we have, the level of unemployment we have. So now we're faced with having, uh, let's say, if, if the economy shrinks 7%, we still have the 3% economic uh, population growth. So we have GDP per capita declining by 10%, which is just extraordinary for us. And of course, I think now we're all realizing how how challenging economically it is and the Mm -hmm. kind of policies. Now, in that context, I don't think oil is going to give us any any relief because Mm -hmm. as you just said, we're seeing all of these flare-ups of COVID-19. There's mm-hmm. no possibility as far as I can see or now, I think, any serious commentator of a V-shaped recovery. There may be an L-shaped recovery, which you know, basically at some point we may come back. But mm-hmm. now people are talking about, uh, for example, Qantas announced layoffs, but it also said it was taking its largest planes out of service for three years. Mm-hmm. Because even as we come out of it, you know what is what is going to be the new normal? Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of changes in behaviors mm-hmm. uh, affecting uh, commuting, affecting travel, mm-hmm. affecting the hotel industry, the airline industry, the cruise industry, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And these are industries that may that may never come back. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of these industries uh, rely on oil. You know, they they use oil. So mm-hmm. if we have a permanent dent in demand of oil, mm-hmm. um, you know, are we ever going to expect to see fifty or sixty dollar oil again? And when we finally see it, of course, the poppy. If it's three years down the road. The population is another 10% bigger, so mm-hmm. oil's become an even smaller part of our economy. So all of these things just add up to it's a critical time for Nigeria you know, to be able to put together an economic structure that really is, is um, fit for purpose for the post-COVID-19 world. And the, the, what we had pre-COVID-19, we all knew was not fit for purpose. It's going to be even less fit for purpose in the way the world changes um, uh, as we come out of COVID-19. If you just joined the show, hello, you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I have the chief economist at PwC Nigeria on the show with me, Andrew Nevin. And we're talking about... Um, 
oil and gas in Nigeria. We uh, started off by looking at NNPC's audit. I told you that in 2018, NNP's refineries generated 3.45 billion naira in, in revenue, but uh, gulped 160.13 billion naira in expenses. That was our big hard fact. So can they be made more productive and efficient? Well, from the things you're hearing from Andrew Neving, um, oil may not be the answer. Now, any economic shock is bound to affect the government's fiscal position, Andrew. And that's especially true when it's an oil shock. Currently, the Nigerian government spends over 90% of its revenue and debts, uh, on debt servicing. Um, so clearly, and it's one of the things you mentioned when you were talking about Nigeria pre-COVID-19, there isn't much revenue left to spend on interventions to save the economy. What are the options that we can begin to look at? What options are available for a government um, in a recession if it doesn't have much money to spend? Well, I, I think that um, you're exactly right. So if we look around the world at the developed countries, so countries like Canada, the U.S., Germany, uh, the United Kingdom, they have a fiscal stimulus that's at least somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of their uh, of their GDP. So if we had a similar size fiscal stimulus, it would be about 15 trillion uh, naira, mm. uh, you know, in addition to normal spending. But that is is not is not feasible already. So, um, I mean, what we're looking at in Nigeria, according to the official numbers, the last ones I looked at, is the budget is in very rough terms. Uh, spending from the federal government would be about 10 trillion naira. Revenue would be about 5 trillion naira. Mm. That may be over over optimistic. I mean, so borrowing at about five trillion naira this year instead of two trillion, I mean, it's obviously not sustainable. The only way out is for the economy to start to grow. And of course, you know, I talked about the recession in 2016. But we also had, as we came out of what people said coming out of the recession, we had very anemic growth in 2017, 2018, 2019, which was lower than the population growth. So essentially, we continue to get poorer, poorer, poorer and poorer per capita, certainly in 2016 and 2017 as well, 2018, 2019. Of course, we're going to get much poorer per capita in 2020 mm. and 2021. Uh, I mean, the only solution for the economic growth, if we had to really put it in kind of one one key point, mm. people refuse to invest in Nigeria. So just to put a number on it, the amount of investment, if we wanted to grow at say six to eight percent, which mm. is what PwC has said is should be the target, we would need investment uh, gross capital formation in economic speak of about 26 to 29 percent. Um, but we're only getting 15 to 17 percent, so about 60 percent of what we need. So the question is, why are people not investing in Nigeria? And I, I just don't mean foreigners. I mean, to begin with, why are Nigerians not investing in Nigeria? Mm. Why is the diaspora not investing in Nigeria? And then mm. finally, why are outsiders not investing? And of course, we all understand the potential. So, I mean, I spent a decade living in China. I went there the first time in 1983. So I experienced you know, the world's greatest economic transformation in history, lifting a four or five 500 million people out of poverty. Hmm. Absolutely extraordinary. So, But now Nigeria is you know, the second potential uh, greatest transformation in economic history. Hmm. And we have negative interest rates in, in Europe. We have zero interest rates, zero percent in the United States. And yet people refuse to invest in Nigeria. So hmm. unless we can solve that fundamental issue, hmm. uh, we're not going to be able to move forward. Now, if we were getting if people wanted to invest in Nigeria and the potential of Nigeria, we would see a flood of capital in and the things happening kind of at every every industry, every part of the country, and that's not happening. So I think that's the issue that 
we're recommending the government go back to fundamentally. You know, mm-hmm. it's been on the table. We've discussed it, but now it's so it's so dire. We, you know, obviously 2020. We're not going to see a lot of investment, but we need to be prepared and we need to be in a position where people want to be part of the Nigerian story in 2021. And that's the only way out of um, you know, the place that we're heading to with COVID-19 right now. Because hmm. I'm thinking about um, you know debt servicing gulping almost all government revenue. And it's kind of a vicious circle. You know, It's a vicious cycle. Uh, government ends up borrowing more each year. Because he doesn't have the money to do anything except pay off debt, you know. So, um, are you saying that investment into Nigeria is how this cycle ends? Is Nigeria um, in serious danger of a default? Or are we going to end up going to, say, the IMF for a more comprehensive debt restructuring program? Well, you know, I don't want to be on television quoted as saying we're going to the IMF, but I mean, I think if you just just in terms of, I mean, obviously the sovereign can can create Naira, right? So mm. you can't default to your own currency. Uh, the the borrowings and foreign exchange borrowings are not that huge, so I don't see a default issue. But but you know what this highlights though is the government actually has no resources to invest in projects, which is fine because the world has tons of resources, you know, as I said, zero interest rate. Hmm. But when we invest in Ajiokuta steel, when we invest in these refineries, the scarce government resources going into these refineries uh, are essentially wasted, which is just, you know, it's tragic for the country. What the federal government should be focused on is, you know, how can we get not these small amounts of money invest in the country? I mean, what the total amount we need invested is probably... Just, I'm sure my numbers are off now. I haven't recalculated recently, but say 100 billion U.S. dollars in dollar terms. How do we get that amount of money catalyzed for the country? So the few billion dollars that the government has invested in these things is a, is a drop in the ocean compared to what we need. So the issue is not what can the government invest because it cannot invest anything but a tiny fraction of the requirement. It's how to catalyze other people to invest in the country. Which So then the question I come back to is why are these people not investing in the country? Why would someone take their hard-earned money and earn a negative return for sure. Do you know why? Do you know why? Let me ask you well, why. Well, I mean, we... Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've been clear. I mean, I think the Pebeck, I mean, Dr. Jamoke and her team at Pebeck have done, you know, heroes heroine's job in that and and um but 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 you know she's worked so hard at this with her team to to make it easier to do business but the reality is that there's still too much complexity and too much cost in doing business in nigeria so you know if you think about for example uh the single window idea of PEBEC, so business can deal with a single window. It sounds fine, but the problem is, is it goes deeper than that. You know, why does someone have to? De- why are there so many MDAs, overlapping responsibilities, increased costs? All the MDAs need to be financed, which means they put pressure on their business to kind of extract more resources. So, you know, what do businessmen do in that case? Well, they opt not to invest in Nigeria. And as I said, it's not just foreigners. Nigerians don't invest enough in Nigeria, so they choose to go to Ghana. They choose to go to Kenya. They now increasingly choose to go to Ethiopia. Of course, Rwanda has done very, very well. But it's extraordinary that Ghana, at one-seventh our size, at one... Uh, six, our population, I believe, is it gets more foreign direct investments into or got more foreign direct investment in 2019 than, than Nigeria. Nigeria. And unless we solve this issue, we'll continue to have have these these you know real problems and get poorer and poorer. And COVID-19 is just you know accelerated. So if you go to the period 2017, 2018, 2019, it was the slow drip. We we're growing at two percent. Population was 
increasing at 3%. So you just you know, have this slow squeeze on incomes and increasing poverty. COVID-19, of course, has turned that slow drip into, into a, 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 a splash, like a, a, like a, a, a torrent. Yeah. Like a, yes, a flash, a flash flood, right? So yeah. you know, there's nowhere to hide for the country unless we fundamentally uh, economically restructure. I don't want to use the term restructure in the political sense, but economically restructure, mm. um, you know, we're not going to find a solution. So some of the things that we've talked about over the years, and I think uh, you know, others talk about the same thing, is is just a decentralization of economic decision making. I mean, we have a country of 200 million people, 36 states. Every state has its own peculiar or particular economic advantages. It's very difficult at the center. I mean, I, I think the experience has shown the center is not able to kind of, you know, sort out, you know, how to help states develop. So really, the states need to take it uh, on themselves to develop, and they all have different plans. And some governors, uh, I think, are starting to do an outstanding job. On, on the development of their states, I'll cite just one, not not to miss out on others, but you know, His Excellency Governor Al Rufai in Kaduna, very clear economic way forward. But we need 36 states that have that clear plan and have the room to be able to to implement that. It's hard to see Nigeria being economically successful uh, unless it's happening at the local and state level. Hmm. From what you're saying, I can see um, that you think that Nigeria's dependency on oil and gas for its revenue is quite um, the precarious position to be in because um, you have a, a government that depends on oil and gas for its revenue. Separate from that, our economy may be diversified, but oil and gas still dominates as a source for Forex, right? So do you think that we're seeing an end to oil and gas on the horizon. If you think we are, how does Nigeria adapt? Well, I mean, to begin with, I guess we've said for a long time that um, we're not really an oil economy. So there's this uh, illusion. I mean, when I came to Nigeria back in 2008, I mean, people, I learned this term, the the cake economy. You know, how do you share the cake? (laughs) But I I think what's happened really, and I'll give some numbers. So, you know, it's a cake economy. It's not really a cake economy. For a while, I was calling it a cupcake economy. (laughs) And then I said, it's not really a cupcake economy. It's a cookie economy, right? Mm. Because this cake does not exist, right? So if we go back to to I think 2018 or 2019, I hope I have my numbers correct, and please, listeners, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But in one of those years, the and the oil price was quite you know, reasonable, fifty, sixty dollars. The NNPC sent 12 billion U.S. dollars to the um, Federation account. Now that, that you know that sounds fantastic, 12 billion dollars. The only problem is there's 200 million Nigerians. Mm. So 12 billion dollars coming out of the oil and gas, the the, the state-owned oil and gas industry, mm. uh, is turns into 60 U.S. dollars per Nigerian, and that's just you know you're not going to be able to. Uh, we're not an oil economy in effect. I mean, if you take again, I'm mm-hmm. Canadian. I mean, we we do five million barrels of oil a day, mm. and we have 38 million people mm. in Nigeria. We do two million barrels a day. And we have 200 million people, and in Canada, we don't even call ourselves an oil economy. Mm. So this 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 myth or illusion that we're an oil economy causes a huge amount of damage. I mean, what what we've had is a situation where, to some extent, um, the oil flows can support the the federal government um, bureaucratic infrastructure. But I mean, the Emir of Kano, or the ex Emir of Kano, or the ex CBN governor, who was actually Actually, what, you know, how I came to Nigeria to serve the CBN and serve the governor back in 2009. Uh, I mean, he said it very clearly: the cost of governance is not sustainable. So, when we have 60 U.S. dollars 
per person per Nigerian coming out, I mean, it's just not very much money. And I think that we just, again, we keep repeating, please stop calling us an oil economy. And in terms of the actual FX flows, we put out our paper last year that said the biggest FX flow is uh, diaspora remittances, right? Mm. But the difference between di- diaspora remittances, and in which the number we had, the official number is 25 billion, but it's very difficult to know because so much invisible flows, a bulky individuals trading. But here's the difference between the oil flow of FX and the diaspora flow. Mm. The oil flow of FX ends up at the CBN and in the hands of the government, right? Mm-hmm. And they have control of it. Mm-hmm. The diaspora flow ends up in millions and millions, you know, in the hands of millions and millions of Nigerians and pays for feeding and school fees. But just mathematically, the only thing preventing a balance of payments collapse in the country is the diaspora flow, not the oil flow. Hmm. As we wrap up, um, I want to come back to oil and gas. The new NMPC boss, you mentioned him earlier, uh, Melikiari, he said he wants to bring down the production costs of a barrel of Nigerian oil. I think you mentioned that point earlier on as well. How much of how, how much of Nigeria's problems, both in oil and gas and in the wider economy, are due to operating inefficiencies? And as an economist, what do you think are the practical steps for making a system like ours produce more efficiently? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, this is a very high cost place to do to do business, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had to contrast it, if you think of the country that should be, in a way, the most similar to Nigeria, it's probably uh, India. Many, many of the same issues in Nigeria. Big, complex, messy proto-democracy. Um, you have, uh, you know, different topographies, ethnicity issues, um, um, and yet in India now, I mean, they really, since about 1991 or 1992, have took off economically. If you're in India, things are highly efficient, and the cost of something is probably a third the cost of a similar thing in the UK, whereas in, in Nigerian context, often a similar thing is higher than the cost of the UK. So we obviously have, uh, you know, a cost problem in that. And we, I think everyone in the country and everyone on the listing today knows the issues around it, infrastructure, power problems, roads, um, and then governance, mm. governance issues that kind of overlay on all of that. So, mm. so we're all well aware of that. And there's no easy easy fix. I guess the, but the good news, uh, if I look at this is, as I said, I think India is a great example. And sometimes I'll be in, in uh, at conferences or listening to people speak and they'll mm-hmm. talk about Singapore and they'll talk about South Korea as models. I don't think that's helpful at all. India is a very good example where in 1991-92, it didn't have manufacturing. It struggled with power. It had poor infrastructure. Mm. You know, how did it get, get turned around? Well, one of the first things that it did people who are old enough may remember in the 1990s, where they started their exports was exporting services, software, business processing, outsourcing. Now, why is that so fantastic? Well, because you can export without having to go through a physical infrastructure, right? So Mm -hmm. we cannot in Nigeria in the short term be competitive at all going through the port system in Nigeria with our power, with our infrastructure. But we can export Nigerian brains sitting in Nigeria. So let me give you a couple of examples. I mean, Google has really been expanding its presence, its development presence in Nigeria. It's those of you who know the, uh, the the head of Google West Africa is brilliant Nigerian, Juliet, uh, on that. Absolutely fantastic. And that's great. But even better, 
<laughs> I mean, Julia's wonderful. But even better is this company, um, Outsource Global, which was founded by Amal Hassan, who's from Kano, but her company operates in Abuja and in um, Kaduna. I think it has about a thousand seats now. Hmm. So that means there's a thousand educated Nigerians that are serving uh, multinationals and their clients in the UK and the United States, either call centers, business processing, outsourcing, uh, coding, uh, some legal services, in some some cases, legal support services and those people so they're, they're bringing in foreign exchange into Nigeria they're allowing an educated Nigerian to to do well here without having to, to emigrate and I think that's where we we start we try to export Nigerian brains uh, without having to actually send you know without Nigerians leaving leaving the country leaving so the I will country. put that on the table as the that's the strategy that we should be pushing because I don't think it's realistic. I mean, we talk about this sort of export-led strategy. I mean, obviously, I think we should be expanding uh, agriculture and the agricultural value chain and agro-processing. But in terms of exporting physical goods out of Nigeria, I just mm. think that that's a lower value-added thing than exporting Nigerian brains while keeping the young people in Nigeria. So that's our contribution to the national strategy right now. Okay. Andrew Nevin is the chief economist at PwC Nigeria. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure having you on Hard Facts. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sandra. Okay. Lagos, you've heard from Andrew and uh, now I want to hear from you. What do you think of uh, the things that he's told us today? What do you think about the NMPC refineries running at a loss and uh, gulping hundreds of billions a year? Do you think that uh, the refineries should be privatized? What do you think about the World Bank warning us that we are headed for a severe recession, even though Andrew said um, that he's going to be more modest than the World Bank is currently being? Do you think that there's a way that the Nigerian government can excuse escape the the uh, debt trap hmm? 0700-993-993-993. Just before I take your calls, we're getting reports that uh, the former governor of Oyo State, Ajimobi, is dead. We'll bring details of that story to you uh, as soon as we have them. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. We're streaming on Facebook, so please share your thoughts with us. Facebook is uh, Nigeria Info 99.3. Twitter is at Nigeria Info FM. Let's talk. Hello. Hello, good evening, Sandra. Good evening. What's your name, sir? Yeah, my name is Joseph. Joseph, welcome. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 I learned a lot from uh, our guests. So he, he spoke about the role of government in all of this. Mm-hmm. And he spoke about the role of um, the government um, agencies in all of this too. Mm-hmm. I I was I was I was dying to ask him about what 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 role can the people in Nigeria what role is there a role we can play in all of this? And if there is what role can we play in all of this so that we can get better in our um, refineries. Hmm. Uh, what role can the people play? Like you and I play? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like. You know, I, 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 I don't always. I don't want to put all of my hopes in government. Hmm. Well, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't have control of of the NMPC and the refineries, but we voted the government in. And so I guess the things that we can do is demand better legislation through the representatives that we have in the Senate and the House of Reps. Right. So those are the things that we can do, because at the end of the day, government still calls the shots as far as um, those organizations are concerned. 
The only power we have is with um, the, the the representatives that we have voted into office. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Thanks okay. for calling me. I appreciate it. Ninety nine point three. Hello. How are you? My name is Tarid Adel. Welcome to the show. I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that the government is doing to support um, SMEs that are in tech? SMEs in tech? Yes, like I visited one in 2018 and what they were doing was really great. So the company Facebook CEO visited when he came to Nigeria, Andela, to be precise. Okay. So I think they have a lot of potentials that they can export to the global scene okay. and will make Nigeria a great thing. So you think the Nigerian government needs to start to invest in young Nigerians who are in tech? Yes, like India, mm. for example. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm 16. Okay. So I... what, yeah, what they do there really inspired me. Mm. And I'm thinking of putting my career in tech too. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I wish you all the best and I hope you do great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for calling Hard Facts today. Lagos, I'm going to take more of your thoughts. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekwesili. Hard, Hard Facts will be right back. Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesili. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili. We've got WhatsApp 080-959-75805. We've got Twitter at Nigeria Info FM. And we've got Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3. Sandra, there is fraudulent activity going on freely at Nigerian refineries. And those in charge, if Buhari government understands what they're doing, how can the Minister of Petroleum explain that you spend 15 hours to generate three naira. Does it make any sensible idea to approve such funding into negative and unproductive local refineries? Unfortunately, if same refineries get into private sector hands, they'll overturn the loss to a profitable business for investors, which shows a massive corruption that needs EFCC and forensic investigation as to how money has been spent. In, uh, Minister of Petroleum Products needs a, needs to explain a lot here because this looks like just three project to me. Okay, Olaide Cruz, thanks for sending your message in. Uh, hello, Sandra. Okay, no, I think I've taken that. I've addressed that uh, question. We've got this person here who's saying, "How can NMPC make profit when you steal billions of dollars and acquire a Dominican uh, passport?" Hmm. All right. Thanks for sending your message in. We've got uh, this person who says, um, if the interview can be uploaded on social media platforms. Well, yes, the, this interview is on our Facebook. It's also on our YouTube. And Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. YouTube is Nigeria Info FM. Hello. Sorry about that. 99.3. Hello. Hello, Sandra. How are you? What's your name? Fine, fine, fine. Um, my name is Wally. Welcome, Wally. I'm calling Wally. from uh, Yanowuru. Welcome. All right. Um, so, um, the interview was interesting. I did my best to ensure I listened to every bit of it. Good. Uh, one of the striking uh, things for mm. me, mm -hmm. uh, because a, a, a journey of a thousand miles mm. uh, starts with one step. Mm-hmm. 
So the first time we are getting a properly audited account of uh, the NNPC operation. You know, that, that is where any company that wants to rebrand and, um, you know, reorganize and uh, restructure, you know, start, you start by auditing. Okay. So you know where the problems are. And by the time, even if, even if we are selling those, those uh, assets now, we will be selling them to people with capacity. Hmm. You know, because you already understand the problem, you know where the losses are. And then you'll be able to, you know, uh, key into solving those problems. So kudos to the government for at least initiating the first ever audit of that um, organization. Mm -hmm. It's a very huge one. Mm -hmm. It's a very huge one. Mm -hmm. and, and I think they should just follow through. Uh, so that we can get benefit from this um, um, corporation. Mm. Thank you very much. Well done, uh, Sandra. Thank you, Wally, for calling me. 99.3. Hello, good evening. Sorry about that. On Facebook, we've got Toyosi Adekoya who says that it's unfortunate that uh, with all their publications and the revenue generated, including their expenses, our refineries are not functioning. That's why I see no difference between the present management of NMPC and its predecessors. All right, let's come back to the phone lines. Hello. Hello, Sandra. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Oh, very well. Doing good. Um, from what the um, your guest said, mm. it, it's it's very simple. I think uh, what is next for this country right now, if, if there's anything we want to salvage, mm -hmm. it is to invest in the education of the future of this country, which of course are the youths and the children. Okay. Um, you talked about you know exporting brain, Nigerian brains. You can't export you know half baked brains. And the only way we could do that is to properly invest in education so that we continue to chunk out the kind of quality that the man was talking about. Hmm. Um, apart from education, we have to take health care seriously as well. Majority of the uh, Nigerians that are trooping out of this country today, they are running out because of three things. Bad governance, lack of good education, hmm. and bad healthcare system. If you could fix that, and of course, don't forget our power, mm. you know, the energy sector. If we can fix that, this country has the potential to be super great. Mm. Thank you very much, Sandra. Thank you so much for calling me, sir. 99.3. Hello, Sandra. How are you, sir? What's your name? My name is Salaba. Welcome. I've been listening to the gentleman. Mm. There's only one, two things you have to do in this country. Fix electricity and it's still. I will have let me take you back to, to Babagida's region. Hmm. In the Babagida regions, they ban furniture. The local guys use what they have. All of a sudden somebody said imported furniture. Why is furniture today? Hmm. When we are talking about uh, uh economy economy. The issue is this. Let us go back. Look inward. See what we can get inward. Listen, my brother, sister. Mm. The, other guy, the guy was saying, you, you were saying something about Hotakot uh, uh, and Kaduro. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the difference between the two? One of them is making money. The other one is not. <laughs> That's the so what are we talking about? <laughs> Why, do, why can't we close the casino down? 
continue to to lose money on Cardinal for how many years? Look, we know what to do. We will not do it. Thank you. All right. Very cryptic comments. We know what to do. We will not do it. Lagos, that's why we draw the curtains on the show today. I am back tomorrow at three. Tomorrow, we're going to let Nigeria rest a bit. And we're going to set our sights upon international stories. One of the stories that we will discuss tomorrow at three is this Ghana versus Niger situation with our high commission. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? We'll talk about that tomorrow at 3 p.m. So make sure that you are right here when hard facts kicks off i'm on social media as s as let's talk online shall we and until tomorrow lagos those are your hard facts good night